You're listening to Seen and Heard, a podcast that features leaders who are making a difference within science and beauty. My name is Dr. Iris Rubin, and I'm a Harvard-trained dermatologist and the founder of Seen. My name is Greg Maggot, and I'm the co-founder of Seen Hair Care. And we're sitting down with industry leaders to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and how to make an impact. I'm Dr. Reese Rubin, the founder of Scene, and this is the Scene and Heard podcast. And today we are thrilled to have Marla Beck, the founder and former CEO of Blue Mercury. She went to Harvard Business School, was former McKinsey, and is just a real trailblazer for women in beauty and business. And Marla, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I guess we'll kick it off just by asking, um, you know, what inspired you to go into beauty and, and to start Blue Mercury? We're always interested in learning from successful entrepreneurs like yourself, what your journey was like. Sure. I mean, I grew up in California near Berkeley and always knew everything about beauty products. There were so many little shops where people made handmade their own things. Uh, and there were also a lot of young brands that came out of California when I was a teenager. A brand called Dermalogica um, was big. And MAC really expanded to California um, as a young brand. Um, so I love these brands. When I moved to Boston for grad school, they were hard to find. I would literally drive 45 minutes just to get MAC lipstick at Bendel's, which was the only place they sold um, MAC back then. Uh, and I had to special order by phone um, the Dermalogic I used because it wasn't sold in Boston at all. And so beauty was always really a hobby and something I loved. I never thought it would be a career. Um, but when I was in graduate school, it was really the dawn of the internet age. And so all of these internet entrepreneurs were coming to campus and talking about their businesses and and um, we had just gotten our first email addresses. Um, nobody knew how to use email then, and there were no cell phones. But um, this one entrepreneur came and talked about how he was going to um, sell books on the Internet. And it was Jeff Bezos. 30 of us showed up because Amazon wasn't public. It was a little tiny company. And he was explaining e-commerce and the Internet and how it was going to fundamentally change everything in society. Um, and I was intrigued. Um, I didn't do anything about it for a while, but about a year after I graduated, I was in finance and I just knew I was in the wrong place. I wanted to be part, the internet was growing and building. I wanted to be part of it. And so I met Barry, um, who's my co-founder and husband now. Um, we looked for ideas to bring to the internet and decided that cosmetics would be great for the internet. They were small, um, they were hard to find, um, and everybody need, and you know, all women needed them. Um, and so we started Blue Mercury as an internet company, um, back in 1999. And we were the first to bring a lot of brands to the internet. Um, the challenge is we were too early. Nobody was shopping online because it was all, dial up. It was really hard to get on the internet. It was really hard to transact on the internet. Um, and so we quit very quickly realized the big opportunity was the store. So um, Blue Mercury was really one of the first omni-channel retailers um, because we went from e-commerce to stores and grew both at the same time over the years. 
Wow. Wait, what an amazing story. Cause I feel like, um, yeah, you were, what's it like realizing you've got this amazing idea and then, and, and that you're early. I mean, that, that pivot was just so, so brilliant to go into stores, but like, how, how does that come together for you where you're like, this is how it should be, but the technology is not supporting it. Like, you know, what was that um, like? You know, I think pivot is a word that didn't exist when um, we had to change our strategy. And it's actually kind of a horrible feeling when you realize you are on the wrong track um, because you've spent all this money in the wrong place. Um, and we were tight on money. We only had probably two months left of cash when we realized we were too early on the internet. So, you know, pivoting sounds glamorous and like you're a genius, um, but it kind of comes out of necessity. Um, and it, it was super painful, I would say, um, because we just realized we were on the wrong track um, and that there was this other track that we wanted to try. There was no guarantee that the stores were going to be successful either. Um, but we felt like there was something um, there because back then you could only buy cosmetics at drugstores or department stores. There was no Sephora or Ulta um, in the country. And so um, we, we thought we'd give it a try. But it was that that quote pivot, which was really sort of bankruptcy avoidance, um, <laughs> that was was painful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so like Blue Mercury is so glamorous, and it looks like you know just like such a you know smart success story. But I guess the the nitty gritty behind how you did it like doesn't sound like it was like you know always easy, you know, to, to get to where it became. And Marla, I remember um, some conversations with you and Barry where. I might get the details wrong, but Barry was saying that you actually had a lot of boxes up, but they were empty or something along those lines in the store, you know, because you were still sort of building out inventory while the stores were being built. I don't know if that's an accurate story, but something along those lines. Um, yeah. I mean, so, you know, in merchandising and stores, you always want full looking shelves and, you know, sometimes you wouldn't have the money to bring in everything you needed. So you would use empty boxes to make the shelves look full. And, you know, maybe the first year we did that. Um, but, um, you know, the great thing about the Blue Mercury store at the beginning, it was it was such a need um, that they produced huge revenue right away. So we quickly sort of grew out of our cash flow problem with the stores. Um, so that was um, really lucky. I think because I've been a beauty customer, I was able to identify the need, which is, you know, shopping at department stores was an awful experience. Everything was sold behind glass counters. It was brand by brand. So you would literally go up to the glass counter, ask for, you know, that one mascara you needed, you would pay for it. And then if you wanted something from a different brand, like a bronzer, you'd have to start all over with a new sales associate. Um, and it, it just, it was designed for the brands. It wasn't designed for the consumer. And so when our stores were developed and, you know, the staff were trained in all brands, nothing was behind glass counters. You could just grab what you needed. And so it was really revolutionary at the time. It seems like common sense now. Um, but at the time, that's not how cosmetics were sold. Um, I remember... Well, going to the, to the, um, you know, department stores and, you know, you would just pick one brand of makeup because it was just like too painful to have to go, you know? So I remember like starting with Lancome and then like, you know, moving on to Laura Mercier and just, yeah. But just the whole idea that you could, you know, shop between brands and optimize it 
you know, not just for the brand, but for yourself is like, I think that's, you know, amazing. I, I remember shopping that way. It, it seems commonplace now, but it, it wasn't. Um, so, Mona, yeah. were you ever on the floor? Were you the first salesperson for Blue Mercury on the floor? Or were you and Barry mostly behind the scenes? No, I was on the floor. I loved working with clients. I mean, um, you know, I remember, I mean, I knew all the customers. Our first store was in Georgetown. Um, and our, our clients would sort of grow up with us. Um, you know, I remember one sort of young man in his 20s who um, had terrible acne, even in his 20s. And I um, showed him a glycolic cleanser. And glycolic cleansers back then were not that commonplace. But we carried this one brand called Therapy Systems, um, which was re a really great glycolic brand. And he came back in a week and he said, you changed my life. I've never been able to get rid of the acne. And so it's really, you know, the beauty business is really rewarding um, because you can fix whether it's skin problems or hair problems and really build people's confidence. Um, so um, those moments were, were really rewarding. We also had, you know, a woman who had cancer and she would come in every week and buy new lipstick, um, even though she must have had drawers and drawers of lipstick. Um, and, you know, we at one point we asked her sort of, you know, why lipstick? She's like, it just makes me happy. Um so, um, you know, there's so many great moments, you know, and, uh, you know, I think one December our store manager quit. So I ran the store one December, which was crazy. But you learn by being with your customers. Um, there's a lot of nuance that if you're in an office, you, you don't see. So that was always my favorite part. And even as we grew, I tried to, you know, be in stores quite a bit. Um, and I, I would say all of our best ideas and product ideas came from clients we interacted with. I, I, I love that. And, you know, I never thought that I would go into beauty because I just never understood the impact that beauty can have. But, you know, what you're saying about how, how it, you know, changed that 20-something-year-old um, life with acne. And I can totally see, like, you know, um, we, we have a um, a family member who's going through chemo right now. And, you know, I, I remember a picture was shared and had the, mas no, you know, hair was covered, but had the mascara, had the lipstick, like, you know, that, that is, that's, that's life-changing. Like just focus on the things that, you know, do give you um, joy and confidence. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I love that. What, how did, I know you love the color blue, but how did the name Blue Mercury come about? And Barry and I just made it up. Um, you know, we wanted something that had nothing to do with the beauty industry because we believed and still believe that, you know, people develop their perception of brands um, and their attributes. So what's Starbucks? You know, nobody really knows what that is. It's mermaid from, um, you know, story. But um, and so we wanted something completely different. I have always loved the color blue. So I said it has to be blue. And then um, there was no Google when we started the company. So Barry literally went to Barnes and Noble and looked at the sources and called me and he said, well, what about Mercury? It's the God of communication. Uh, what if we put it together? Um, and so that's what we did. You know, a couple things that were lucky about it. Like when you're starting a company, it's always good to be at the top of the alphabet because anytime someone lists companies, they always list them alphabetically. Um, but the mistake was that it's a really long name. And so it's hard to fit on store signs. Uh, and it has this funny, you know, B that goes up and Y that goes down. And so it takes more space up and down than you, than you would think, too. So you never know when you do something at the beginning, all of the different impacts it's going to have. 
Yeah. When, how, and how did you um, decide to start Luna Naster and M61? Um, you know, how, how did those brands come about? Yeah. Um, so the idea for M61 actually came in 2007. It took me a while to produce it. Um, but we had customers coming into the store um, that were asking uh, for natural brands, um, but they would say that they didn't work on their skin, that they didn't really um, impact any of the sort of treatment interests people had, whether it was, you know, treating fine lines or um, reducing pore size or, you know, there were no actives in them that really impacted the skin. And then we had, it was the time of the big dermatologist brands also. So a lot of doctors had new brands, but they were full of chemicals and things you didn't want in your brand. So just by listening to clients, I realized that there was this marriage of um, clean and clinical that didn't exist. And so M61, we launched in 2012 is one of the first clean clinical brands, you know, vegan, gluten-free. Just, um, and there were, was a list of about a hundred items, um, chemicals and ingredients that couldn't be in the brand. Um, so, um, you know, that idea really came from talking to customers and observing the questions they were asking and what their needs were. Um, yeah, that's so revolutionary at the time. I feel like clean and clinical now is like just expected from, yeah. you know, a lot of brands, but like at the time, you know, and, and it still is, I mean, so many brands are not clean or clinical, but, you know, just a standard that we hold ourselves to at scene, um, but not a standard I think that was widely um, accepted or, you know, sought after at the time. You know, it was fun to do. It was hard. Um, you know, when we were working on it, everybody would say, well, you can't eliminate all of those ingredients and have great texture. And I would say, no, I think we can. So, yeah. you know, it, it was a lesson in really pushing for what we wanted. And the yeah, power yeah. of the end that we often talk about, there's this whole notion that you have to compromise if you want a certain experience, then you have to compromise on the formulation. And I think sometimes it just takes the... Um, I don't know, the perseverance to make it happen and, and the creativity. So Marla, you've been on the on the cutting edge twice from a channel perspective and then from sort of clean clinical. So what's the next what's the next innovation that you think is coming down the pike? You know, I think uh, beauty and wellness are emerging more than ever. Um, so I think we're going to continue um, to see that. I mean, scene's a great example of that. Um, but I think, um, you know, with all of the technology out there, we're going to see m much more sort of personalization, customization, and medical impact from beauty. I mean, why can't you extract someone's DNA and figure out the exact perfect um, skincare products for them? Why aren't those customized? I mean, we're, we're starting to have that data. Um, so I, I think that's really um, the next frontier. Um, so excited to, to see where people take that. That's so, that's so interesting. Cause I always think about that as the future for like drugs, but you know, for it, it makes sense. Like why not, why not bring that to, you know, skincare and beauty as well? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we're seeing more ingredients that do that, but the question is, um, you know, how do you match ingredients with the consumer? Um, yeah. and it's more than just you go online and you fill out a questionnaire and you get re product recommendations. It's true science that we need in beauty. 
Yeah. But Marla, you, you love science t- too, right? Like, so, um, just, it, I, I love how you, cause so, bring, bringing science and beauty together just makes so much sense to me, but I love that you're, you know, highlighting, highlighting that. What is it about science that, that you, that appeals to you? I mean, I think science and technology, um, are always sort of the next frontier and that, if you watch what's going on in science and technology and then bring that to whatever industry you're in, um, you're, you're ahead of the curve, right? So, you know, the, even the start of Blue Mercury was like that. E-commerce was this new technology world that, you know, we decided to marry with beauty. Every, it's almost like every company is a science and technology company if you look closely enough. Um, so I just love looking at what's new and next. I mean, the scientists are inventors, right? The t- some of the technologists are inventors. And so when you watch inventors, you get a hint at what's to come. Yeah. Greg, Greg was driving by and saw the sticker on a car that he sent me. You might have seen it before, but I loved it. It said science, it's magic, but it's real. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was so cool. I ordered that sticker already. Oh, I make a t-shirts for the family. We'll get you one. Okay, good. Marla, it's interesting because when you, you initially went um, online, you started the company online and then had to pivot to go into store. And it's just interesting how, you know, you retired from Blue Mercury recently, but in the 18 months before that, you almost had to do the exact inverse with the company because yeah. of what's going on with coronavirus. And so, you know, it's just interesting how all that legwork and all that experience you had online really gave you, I'm sure, a lot of confidence to make what was, you know, probably a pretty essential transition during a difficult time. Yeah. I mean, I think we learned a lot of Mercury, right? Which is we brought all of our amazing beauty experts from the stores online to consult with clients. And you know, it was the first time they would have hour conversations where the client would bring their phone into their into their bathroom and show them, okay, I've got this in my shower, I've got this in my makeup drawer, so cool. skincare I use. You know, you've never had that sort of window onto, you know, all of the products a client uses and what's missing um, from their kit and also, you know, convincing them to throw things away that are three or four years old. Right. So um, the, there was a lot more intimacy during COVID between the beauty experts and the clients that you wouldn't have expected, right? The stores were shut down, but people were home. And so they were really taking a lot of time um, to talk about the products they use. Uh, oh, my battery's low. Who's that? I completely charged up. Sorry. Hold on. <laughs> no That's okay. Before this, I was having technology um, challenges myself. Um, Marla, what do you what do you like most about being an entrepreneur? Like, you know, what what's been um, enjoyable in that process for you? I mean, I I, I think there there are a couple of things, right? Which is you're trying to predict the future and build a company around the future. So that's one fun part, right? Um, and the company building part is extremely fun because you're also, you know, bringing everyone along with your vision, whether it's customers or um, your team or investors, right? Which is, um, it's a real challenge to say, here's where I think the world is going. And I want you all to join me in, you know, where I see the world is going. Um, so that part is really fun. Um, every day is different. Um, so, you know, one day I was maybe 
um, you know, in the store ringing the cash register, starting, you know, talking to clients. And the next day, you know, Barry and I were pitching Ted Leonsis and Steve Case at like a dinner meeting in DC trying to raise additional funding. And then we would go to New York City and meet Leonard Lauder and pitch him on, um, you know, letting, you know, uh, letting us carry some of his brands. And so there's so much variety in what you do. Um, you know, the flip side is that the highs are high and the lows are low. You, it becomes part of your identity. So if someone rejects you, you take that personally. Um, so, and the wins you take personally too. You're like, I did that. (laughs) So it's all of that. Um, and then as a parent, um, you have more control, right? Even though you're 24 seven, if you want to block time out of your day to go see your child play soccer or go see the school play, you control that. Um, I love that. Marla, because, you know, my background, I'm a pediatric laser surgeon. I spent my career at Children's and spent much of it, you know, in the operating room treating babies and kids with disfiguring birthmarks and scars. And my OR day would always fall on a Friday, which was always like special guest day at Norwood. And I missed like the violin recital for years because my schedule was booked out for months. So I I love that because, you know, people often ask and, you know, how do you balance... you've got three kids, like how do you balance a career, you know, and three kids? And I find being an entrepreneur really like helps, you know, with, with that balance because of that flexibility, which sounds like, you know, you, you experienced as well. I think that's right. I mean, you know, it's not like, it's not like there aren't times where you're working late at night trying to get something out the door or right. Working, you know, on New Year's Day because your stores are open and no one showed up. Right. So you have, you have that too, but you know, in certain cases you have more control. Um, so speaking of your kids, you have three amazing children and they are, um, science oriented entrepreneurial, what do you think they took away from watching you and Barry? Do you think that they're like, Oh my God, that's so much work. I don't think so. Or do you think that they just grew up with it and, you know, are inclined to go start their own things? I mean, if you had to place a bet into the future, what, where do you think their minds and hearts are? I mean, I think they definitely grew, you know, I don't think they thought about it that much growing up, right? They grew up with it. So they would be in the car looking for new store sites with us. I used to laugh. Our middle child, Sophie, it would say, well, that corner's not good because nobody's walking on that side of the street, right? Because you heard us so many times talk about that. And so I think they just grow up with it and they grow up with the ideation and the conversations at the dinner table, right? Which is, you know, we launched this product, it's not working, you know, um, you know, what should we do? Right. So that it's the language they speak. Um, so, you know, it's like, you know, doctors, um, you know, typically at a parent who is a doctor, you, it's, it's a language you speak at home or you reject it completely. Right. So, Marla, what what advice would you give someone who wants to start their own? You're crazy. Business? Don't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I mean, you have to be really, really passionate about the idea because you're going to spend twenty four seven on it for anywhere from like three to ten years, right? Um, unless you quit, um, it takes a long time to you know, get the product market fit to build your business. Um, and it's a long journey. And so you better love the product or the industry you're going into and, um, 
be willing to do whatever it takes um, to help your company to succeed. Because you, you guys know, especially at the beginning, you were doing everything. And, you know, you're, you know, chief legal, chief accountant, chief, you know, setting up the company, your tech, you know, you're the office manager, you're, you know, you're, you're doing everything. So you, you have to be committed. Um, yeah. And you're right. You do have to be a little crazy um, because you're leaving any sort of security behind. What was it like, Marla, having a husband you. join you um, on the journey? I mean, at times, did you want to kill each other or do you find that it gives you that emotional reinforcement to pursue through those challenges or is it both? I mean, I, I think every business has partners, right? Um you know, whether um, you're married or, you know, related in some way. Um, uh, because you need to... Uh, I know, Greg, I feel like you're my work husband. Yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> um, but you need a, a different set of skill sets. You know, you need someone who's sort of the strategist and really thinking about the consumer and... You need someone um, who's like the operator that can get anything done. And you see that in different relationships, right? You see it in Apple. There were two founders, right? You see it in Microsoft, even Berkshire Hathaway. Almost every business, you have a partnership of some sort um, because it takes all of those different skill sets to start from the beginning, Um and um, do we fight over ideas? Yeah. I mean, when we wanted to build our third store, you know, I wanted to build it in Philadelphia. Barry wanted to build it in Alexandria because it was closer. Um, but I really thought we had to take a new market. Um, so I won that argument. Um, but we always dealt with it by walking. You know, we walk a lot. Um, you know, it used to be that we walked in the morning and in the evening. And, you know, the morning was sort of like, okay, what are we going to do today? And the evening was like, okay, what happened um, and you know, what are all the issues? And then, um, we would work through those. I would stand the first mile of the walk, then walk a couple more miles, um, and talk about the kids and everything. And so you find your mechanisms, um, to work with your partner. Um, so, um, but you need all the skills and you need the healthy debate about direction, um, because there's no rule book. There's no playbook that says sort of how you build your business. You're making, you know, minor and major decisions almost every day. I, I love that there's no playbook. It's one of the things I love about being an entrepreneur and what you said. So interesting. I didn't know that about the, you know, two partners and all those successful companies because I found it seen in 2014, but I was working at children's and it wasn't until Greg came on board, I think in 2017, um, that scene really got legs, like, you know, and, and I never realized it's like a great thing to have an idea, but you know, it's all about the execution. Um, and you know, Greg's like genius, genius with that. Marla, you should work, you should work with, you and Barry should work with Mike because he, his, his Fitbit showed 21 miles. He does all his calls walking and he runs in the morning. So the other day he, he clocked 21 miles between his. I know. My introduction. I, I always see him on the street when we're walking. So by introduction, um, Mike I'm is like, a recent husband. Walking? Is he always walking? Always. Always, Marla, always. He actually now, I don't think he, he's, he's done some meetings like on, on a kayak when we're like on vacation, but generally his meetings are walking now. But anyway. Right. So healthy. Yeah. Well, I think also actually like the, it's so smart to do that because when you're in motion, I feel like your brain, Marla, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, it just um, frees it up shift a little ways. bit. And, smart. you know, I'm sure that many people call you a trailblazer. Many people call you a trailblazer as a female entrepreneur. 
Um, so I'm curious, this industry is so, uh, so much more balanced in that sense between genders versus, let's say, financial services where you, you know, where you were before that. And I'm just curious about your experience. Did you, uh, did you actually feel that way being a founder and CEO of Blue Mercury, or did you feel like there was still some legacy? I don't know what the right word is, but, uh, you know, obstacles or hurdles that you still had to overcome, even having been such a successful trailblazing founder. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, which is the beauty industry has always had a ton of diversity um, in it because it it's um, full of creatives, right? Um, trying new pro trying to launch new products, figuring out new ways to communicate, um, launching new business models, and so um, I don't think I ever felt any barriers in the industry. In fact, it's quite the opposite, right? Which is uh, the big corporate leaders want to help the entrepreneurs because that's where the innovation comes from. Um, and, you know, even as, you know, really acting as the chief merchant for Blue Mercury, I mean, we had so many brand founders that were so different coming through the door every day, whether it was, you know, a doctor like you, Reese, that had, had a brand and, you know, was solving a new problem to, um, you know, Francois Nars, who, you know, created this new lipstick formula that everybody had to have. I mean, everybody was, um, had their own imprint they put on the beauty industry. And, and so I think it wasn't intentional, you know, to choose the beauty industry because of, um, the opportunity to trailblaze. Um, but it was, I feel lucky to be part of it, um, because it's so open and a, accepting of new ideas and new innovation. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, so, um, Marla, if you had to go back and tell your 20 year old self something about business or life in general, like what, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, you know, I think I always worked really hard. Um, and I was always looking sort of what's next, what's next. And I, I think there's balance, right? Um, you know, Clay Christensen, who was a professor of mine at Harvard Business School, um, wrote this book, How Will You Measure Your Life? And he says, you, you know, you have to, three things, you have to have meaningful work, meaningful relationships. Um, and his third thing, which is important for some people and don't go to jail, right? <laughs> it's, you know, it's like the third thing. Um but I, I think that balance of meaningful relationships and meaningful work is really important. And then I would remind myself that, um, you know, don't look at what everybody else is doing. Don't pay attention to what everybody else is doing. Find your own road because there's no one else like you, right? You know what you like to do when you wake up in the morning. You know what your hobbies and your passions are. Um you know, everybody has to optimize for themselves and not for what they think they should be doing because other people want them to do that. Um, but I love, love, love that. I mean, I think that is, if I had to tell my 20 year old self something, that would be that too. Cause I, when I grew up, I remember like, I was kind of, um, one time we, we had to build a bridge in like high school and I, I was like, Oh, it'll absorb shock. And these boys used to like chase me, be like, it'll absorb shock. It'll absorb shock. And I'm like, <laughs> kind of like give them the finger after I went to Harvard medical school. Sorry. But like, you know what I mean? Like, it's okay to be geeky. Like I'm geeky. Like I like thinking about science, like just like to optimize for yourself is such good advice. Like that just, you know, it speaks to me. I'm sure it'll speak to so many people. 
Yeah. Even, you know, my oldest who's in college is looking for summer internships. She's like, what do you think I should do? I'm like, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> right. What's exciting to you? Um, when you look at all of these options, because what's exciting to you won't be exciting to someone else. So. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think that is, is something that, you know, is, I think now there's like more accepting of like, you know, people's differences and just realizing like, you know, being normal isn't like what is normal and, and you know, just, but there's more acceptance of just like this idea that like everyone's an individual. But I love that because, yeah, it, it also reminds me when I asked, um, my parents, I, I, you know, what they thought of a guy, they're like, well, if you're asking me, you know, like, you know, um, then, then he's out. Cause you know, it's like, you just be yourself, know what you like, you know, and I never asked them what they thought of Mike. Yeah. I think also there's an opportunity to just experiment. <laughs> Sometimes being in different yeah. environments, you might not think that you enjoy it. And then you discover, wow, I actually do. Or there are aspects of it I like, or actually I hate it. So, you know, in some ways letting our kids and even ourselves just try different things, I think can be enormously, um, validating and offer moments of discovery. No, I think that's a good good point. I, I also think that sometimes people confuse what they're good at with what they like. And I know that yeah. took me like well into my thirties and forties to like realize the difference there. And, you know, Greg and I've talked about the book, The Big Leap and being in your zone of excellence versus your zone of genius. But like, it's very possible to be really, really good at something, but not enjoy it that much. But Marla, so, you, you, know, you, you have like highlighted some really interesting well. people. Who made an impression on you early? I mean, you talked about Jeff Bezos early in his journey. Um, you know, Clayton Christensen, obviously a trailblazer in his domain. Uh, are there other people that you look back on and say, wow, like even just brief contact with these people sort of changed the path I took? So, one of my. Um favorite people in the history of the beauty industry is Marcia Kilgore. Um, she started Bliss, um, which we carried, and, you know, Bliss Spa in New York City, and then Bliss, which was really the first American spa brand. There were a lot of French spa brands, but she created the first American spa brand. Then she started Fit Flop, which is flip flops oh, that yeah. um, are more athletic. Uh, so you get a workout from wearing them. Um, and then most recently she started beauty pie, um, which is a, you know, different sort of subscription beauty model to sort of more accessible priced, um, skincare. And she just moved into, you know, makeup and supplements. Um, but she's super creative. Um, and it's always coming up with new great ideas. Even if you look at sort of her, products in the past. Like she used to make these, these gloves you put on to soften your hands. No one has ever done that. Right. And, um, they're, they don't make them anymore. Um, but you like put a mask on your hand and these special gloves and, um, they were really fun. Um, so she's one of the best creatives I've ever seen. Um, Dermatologists would recommend that all the time for hand eczema, you know, that you would like moisturize at night and then put the gloves on. So that's really cool. They actually made ones, but um, yeah, super smart. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but she's kind of a product genius. And so that's someone I really, um, admire, um, in the industry, um, that people don't talk about that much anymore. She's so Marla, as you look forward, we'd be remiss not to ask anything you want to share about what the next chapter might look like. I mean, you know, I think for me, I'm happiest when I'm helping 
entrepreneurs or advising entrepreneurs. So, you know, almost every day I do a couple calls with entrepreneurs, um, you know, and they all face different issues. Like, you know, I talked to someone that had a multi $100 million company and was trying to figure out if um, he should step aside and bring on a CEO, right? Different issue than someone who's just starting is trying to figure out where to formulate their products and, um, you know, whether they should sell on Amazon or, right, or, you know, sell at Ulta, right? So, I mean, it's, there's a range of entrepreneurs that all have different challenges and some, you know, I've seen before and some I haven't. Um, but if, if I can just help people, what is your perspective about selling beauty on Amazon? Um, you know, I think Amazon is Google for products. And so, you know, it's helpful to be there if you want the consumer to, to find your products. People don't go to Google first to search for, you know, a product, they actually go to Amazon. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's important, but you have to have other brand building channels because it's set up for transactions. It's not set up to really build your brand ethos. So I think in anything you do, whether in beauty or, you know, other product categories, you have to understand sort of how are you building your distribution and then how are you marketing to drive people towards that distribution? Um, so it's one thing to have a product. It's another thing to get it into the hands of consumers. And that's where, you know, all of the different planning comes into play. Um, Marla, how do you think about like beauty in the future with brick and mortar versus direct to consumer and how COVID may have changed shopping patterns like temporarily or permanently? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, by default, you know, everything moved to the internet for, you know, a period of time. And so even at Blue Mercury, after that, we saw the internet sales maintained at a much higher level. Um, so not surprised about that, not surprised about that transition. That being said, the, the day we reopened the stores, they were flooded because people missed the experience of actually seeing product and touching product and, you know, having someone recommend the right color for you, you know, in person. And so that I was thinking about this even yesterday. I love stores because it's just a different shopping experience yeah. than online. And you kind of want both, right? Um, you know, this idea of browsing, well, browsing online is so different from than browsing in store for whatever product, right? Like you have this sense of discovery when you're in store. Like, you know, when I'm shopping online for groceries, I just go through, click at, you know, what I've ordered before. I'm not like, oh, I'm going to try that new sort of pumpkin spice oat milk creamer, right? But in store, you see it, you want to, you want to try new things. I find myself when I go to the grocery store buying many more things oh, to yeah. try than I would online. And so I just think that act of discovery is important. Even, you know, the simplest things like, you know, going to a bookstore, going, you know, to a museum, you know, I think, I think we all miss that a lot. We will use those places differently now. Um, but, um, you know, I think there's something to be said for serendipity and experiencing something new that is less transactional than being online. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. And like, whenever I Instacart, I'm like, wait, why is this like $100 versus like, you know, when I'm in Whole Foods, it's like, you know, a lot more, but that discovery makes so much sense. And I did go into Blue Mercury to buy lipstick recently. And you know, when you're looking at color cosmetics in particular, you know, it's very hard to like do that, um, at least for me on online. Um, so there is something, you know, really special about being in the store and being able to like look at the different colors and, um, 
Yeah. Also, there are experts that, you know, when they help you, they just, you know, I remember every season I would just go to our team and say, you know, I want three new lipsticks, three new lip liners. Can you just pick the colors for me? And I trusted them and they were so good. So everybody has their expertise, right? It's like if you're looking at skin, you can say, well, you have this, you know, you have this and this is what you need to do to solve it. Like we don't, Greg and I don't have. No, it's just so also more physically it. immersive. I mean, it's just so, it's a totally yeah, different experience. But, but, and so it's it's actually nice to see the option of having both. If you want to go home and order the basics the way, you know, in three minutes yeah. or less online, that's great. If you want to wander into a store, I just think it's it's great that Blue Mercury offers that and in a much more accessible way than a lot of the other major, you know, brands and retailers do. I do think we'll continue to see more online consulting. It's um technology needs to catch up, right? It's, you know, just to have your teams on FaceTime um, doesn't work so much. And I, you know, I, I saw, you know, there's a retailer that's doing new personal shopping service, but it's still very like email driven. I, I just think there's a lot more to layer on technology to link retail to digital commerce. Um, Amazing. Um. Well, Marla, it's been such a pleasure having you on our no, we're just podcast. grateful to hear Greg, your any, wisdom, any final and we love watching so... your journey, and can't wait to see whatever comes next. Thank yeah, you. I mean, Marla, we think we think you're amazing. What you've done so far, and you've you know given us advice for scene, and you know. Um, a, a, a trailblazer in in beauty and business, and we're really just honored that you are on our podcast today. Well, you know, thank you for having me. And I'm so glad that you're doing the, this podcast because I think for entrepreneurs, it's, you know, nice to hear from other entrepreneurs. So it's, it's terrific. Great that you're doing it. For sure. For sure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye guys. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.